This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Roddy Nickporian for Emily Fox. Last month, Third Man Records released a new compilation called The Music of Heat Miser, showcasing the earliest recordings from Heat Miser. The band was co-led by Elliot Smith and Neil Gust, and it was a vital part of Portland's punk scene in the early 90s. It also helped launch Elliot Smith's influential solo career up until his death in 2003. KEXP's Dusty Henry spoke with the rest of the band's original lineup about their early days and their takeaways from listening to their old material. When you hear the name Elliot Smith, your brain might conjure a sound like this. Someone's always coming around here, trailing some or maybe this. First the mic, then a half But before he went solo, Smith was making music that sounded, well, like this. Heatmiser was much more than Elliot Smith's early band. Heatmiser were a force to be reckoned with in Portland's renowned rock scene in the early 90s. Their music was gruff, raucous, and noisy enough to compete with all the other loud bands coming out of the Northwest around that time. Neil Gust and Elliot Smith first met at Hampshire College in Massachusetts. They started playing music together within the first week of college, calling themselves Heat Miser. In the summer before graduation, they decided to start a real band together. Smith brought Gust back with him to Portland in 1991, where they teamed up with bassist Brant Peterson and drummer and producer Tony Lash. Over the course of three full-length albums in five years, the group left a mark on the City of Roses music scene. During that time, the band would change a lot. In the literal sense, Brant Peterson would be replaced after the group's second album by Sam Coombs of the band Quasi. But their sound would also change shape from heavy, distorted punk rock to something more melodic. In a new reissue from Third Man Records, we're now getting a taste of the early days of the band. The compilation shares the same name of the band's first cassette, called The Music of Heatmiser. Those original six songs are featured at the top of the record, plus a whole lot more with early demos, live recordings, and rarities. It's the most comprehensive look at the band's early days ever made readily available. On these early recordings, you can hear their early influences, ranging from Fugazi to the Pixies. At the same time, the band says they were listening to records from Metallica and the folkier melodic stylings of Nick Drake. I caught up with original Heat Miser members Gust, Lash, and Peterson to learn more about the band's beginnings and sonic evolution. There's something funny that, that between like Metallica to Nick Drake when I listen to like your music, there's like especially this early stuff where it's a lot heavier and uh, punkier, dare I say maybe grungier a little bit. Um, but the melody is there too. I, I don't know. That's interesting. All those disparate influences. Yeah, no. Just moving forward, yeah. no. 
you, you don't say frontier. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's totally, I mean, of course, it was so prevalent. And there were, I mean, the Pacific Northwest was a wash in rock bands when we arrived. And there were more arriving every week. So it was in the lifeblood of culture there. I don't know when that term was coined, but what is was kind of great about Portland then, as Neil says, everybody was playing in bands and it was so it was very social as well as, you know, being music. And um, I think some of us thought of it as like work. None of us was paying the rent with it. And it was kind of a great moment before grunge, the word, the term, the idea was all over national media. I had recorded a project with Elliot and our two other high school friends, Jason and Garrick, in 1989. We were kind of already starting to experiment with a harder rock sound, but Elliot, you can hear a lot of Elvis Costello influence and maybe some Pixies, but he hadn't heard any of the like DC hardcore stuff or Urge Overkill of those bands that uh, I remember Neon Elliott really being into when they moved out here. And so in a pretty short span of time, while it stayed pretty heavy, it changed a lot in terms of, well, the quality and the variety of influences. The first six albums on this compilation, which make up the first cassette, I believe, that you sold at your shows and sent to labels. What do you recall about that tape and and recording it? It was fast and cheap. Yeah, we we scraped together just enough money for two days at the studio where I'd been already working for a few years and did those six songs plus three others and recorded and mixed in two days. We'd only been playing shows for two months when we went and recorded that. It didn't feel at the time like it was moving fast. In fact, it didn't feel like it was moving fast enough. But it did go really fast. Like La Luna opened and started doing these really cheap $1, $2 shows with local bands headlining and just a huge number of people would come see you play. And, and there was like handprints gallery where, you know, Clark, this guy who made the t-shirts for all the bands, you know, would host these shows in his like little concrete box of a studio in industrial part of Portland. And it, it, there was just so much stuff going on and um, places to play and bands that were cropping up and, it just, it was just like a spark lit a fire and up it went. When I went to mix the demos and the unreleased tracks, it was so fun to kind of really hear us all playing clearly and being able to hear the different tracks and revisit a time in our lives of just so much energy and enthusiasm. But I really, coming back to it after you know, the intervening 25 years of producing bands and working with a lot of other musicians, I just had this whole new level of appreciation for the musicianship. One of the things that comes up with Heatmiser when you dig into it is, is, is often this, uh, the band kind of being labeled like queer core and like kind of pointed some of your lyrics, Neil, where you talk about, you know, couldn't be touched or Candyland. And 
very different time than now where there are more artists who are um, feel like they can be vocal. Uh, what, what was that like for you and for the band to, to, to be uh, just speaking your truth in that way? Well, the band was always 100% supportive and cool and on the side of having that be part of our story. When I hear these old recordings, what I hear is somebody who had really just come out of the closet and was grappling with how to express himself. In the words and in the performances, there's there's just a an ache to connect, an overwhelming energy and desire to connect with anybody who would understand what this felt like. But it, it needed some development and it needed some time. My ability to articulate what that was like was in its infancy. I still struggle. I'm struggling with it now. Like, how do I, be, how do I even talk about this? Because it, it was so liberating and terrifying. Going back to the recordings and things, were there, were there specific songs or moments that really like, stuck out with you? In, in, in any way every time i listen to um that cover of revolution it just cracks me up and i don't remember much about the recording of it except that the studio was seemed was very sunny and um we had not rehearsed that tune very much you know like how does it go you can you can hear some some real clams in there but uh that was pretty funny For me, the revelatory stuff were the, the demos uh, for Dead Air, which I completely forgot we'd even done. And when I heard them, I was like, why the f*** didn't we use this as our record, our first record? This is, it's just better to me. I just thought it sounded ferocious and sexy without being self-conscious. While Elliot Smith's solo work has a clear contrast with Heatmiser, these early recordings also showcase just how much Heatmiser changed over the course of their run, going from visceral punk rock to a polished studio band. Even Smith's voice sounds remarkably different. Here he is on Low Life, the first song on Heatmiser's debut cassette. And then, here he is on Plainclothes Man, from the band's final album, Mike City Sons. Right when it was released, and we were kind of looking back on it and hearing people's response, we felt pretty quickly like, oh, it's a little suffocating and monotone and more muscular than any of us really are in our personalities. I heard in, for example, in Elliot's voice, you know, you could sort of chart different influences. There's a Joe Strummer time, there's an Elvis Costello time as he's sort of finding 
you know, just doing different stuff. Neil Gust notes that obviously Brant's leaving the band made a big difference in the dynamics of the group. The band also started taking longer gaps between recording their albums. The first two were recorded closely together, while Mike City Sons took two years to record. And in that period, we signed with a major label and bought our own studio with the money and built it in this house that we rented in Southeast Portland. But also we were, you know, Elliot was on tour doing his solo stuff by then. And Tony was producing other people's records and Sam had a job at Kinko's and I was just in this studio by myself trying to figure out how to work a compressor. But I mean, it was a really very different day-to-day experience making that record than any of the others. Neil, I was curious, you know, with you, you and Elliot sort of sharing songwriting or vocal duty, what was the songwriting process like between the two of you? It was much more collaborative in the beginning than towards the end when we were just spending far less time together. We were each other's cheerleader, you know, and I, I was actively trying to write songs that he would respond to. There's something I was kind of wanting to ask about. I'm, I'm still not sure how to ask, but, you know, it's, it's hard with him, you know, not, not being here, but... Um, Working on this project and, you know, not having Elliot, I was curious, you know, how it was to keep his presence in mind and his perspective thinking through this or any thoughts or feelings that, that came up? And, and you don't have to answer this either. It's all I understand. But just to, when you're working on this record, yeah. When I was first in that band, uh, Elliot and I got along great and later we didn't. And my parting with Elliot was was really hard. And we never reconnected. Um, And in the process of this and some other kind of recent events, I've looked back at that stuff in a way that I have honestly not because it's just very painful and um, really been able to connect with what was lovely about my friendship with Elliot and my participation in that band and, um, and, and been able to feel grief and mourn Elliot in a way that I hadn't. That's lovely. No, it's lovely, Brent. I'm glad, you know, like (laughs) anything positive that can come from our history together and music that we made is just all bonus points at this point. You know, that's really what it felt like is it's like, you know, we're done. We're not going to play. We're not trying to do anything as heat miser anymore you know but if if there is this thing this artifact from a time period that's that we just realized this is cool (laughs) you know like it's cool and it's a it has value and it's positive and it's been really fun putting it out Over 30 years after they were first recorded, these reissued songs bring new light to Heat Miser's history, Portland's 90s rock scene, and deeper insight into Elliot Smith's work. The music of Heat Miser is out now on Third Man Records. For KEXP, I'm Dusty Henry. 
That'll do it for Sound and Vision today. But before you go, take a moment, please subscribe to the show in your favorite app. Just click that button and then click that other button that gives us a rating out of five stars. And also leave us a one sentence review in that same app. Something that'll go even further than that would be to tell a friend about this show. You know, someone in real life. And finally, can't let you go without a reminder that KEXP is a listener-powered service, whether it's on the air, online, or through community events. So on your way out, show us the show matters with a one-time gift, $1, $20, whatever you can swing. Your support goes a long way. That's at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.